Welcome to the Embellish Podcast, where we like to talk about stories. We like to explore how embellishment makes a story better, how it allows us to connect more deeply with both the person telling the story and the subject of the story. Together, we will explore people, products, and places that have a story to tell. We'll navigate through the truths, half-truths, and outright lies and decide if truthiness even matters. It's February. If you weren't tipped off by the Super Bowl, Valentine's Day, or the bipolar weather outside, then maybe the celebration of Black History Month got your attention. So we thought we would take this episode to talk about black history within the bourbon community and potentially black future within the bourbon industry, talking about challenging exclusivity and rewriting the past. Bourbon as a spirit should be moving towards a more intersectional stance, a place where all classes, races, genders can meet, that provides a common ground but isn't hindered by brand loyalty or price point bias. We'll start with Bro Brothers. Bro Brothers is the first African-American distillery in the state of Kentucky. It's a group of three brothers, the Yarbrough Brothers, that have been involved in the spirits industry for quite some time. One of the Yarbrough Brothers made a name for himself in the spirits industry overseas, importing wines and other spirits into the United Kingdom and other locations. After a successful career in that, the Yarbrough Brothers decided it was time to build their own brand. Instead of trying to reclaim some long-lost history, from their inception they began with the idea of bucking the long-storied tradition within bourbon. They're building a brand that is unapologetically black in its ownership and is built around the concepts of community, opportunity, and acknowledgement. Their hope is to take their small distillery and build in communities that are traditionally black around the Louisville area, creating opportunity and giving a voice to the minority population within the bourbon realm, something that is woefully underrepresented. One of the things that I find unique about the Yarbrough brothers is that they didn't start out with some ultra-aged product from a third-party distiller. They are starting out with a six-month-old bourbon. You can tell by looking at it that it is relatively brand new and The taste is often said to be very new. It's challenging the idea that upon entry to the market, you should have a full-fledged, fully matured product that is going to rattle the cages of the bourbon heads of the world. What they're creating is a product that is approachable to all parties, something that is great for a mixer, something that goes well in cocktails, and something that you could drink neat or straight if you so chose. Deciding to launch with such a young product tells me a few things. One of those things being that their initial target audience is not the traditional bourbon audience. It's not the people who already are well entrenched in consuming bourbon on a daily basis. They're targeting people that might convert to becoming bourbon drinkers. They're targeting people that are interested in cocktails and mixology, uh, people that might not traditionally want to purchase and drink a neat bourbon. That speaks to me of a sense of community, wanting to be able to allow everyone to have a seat at the table and to be able to have a connection to their particular product. If you spend any time researching the Bro Brothers, you'll find numerous articles that point to the they have pride in the community that they grew up in, and they hope to build uh, a larger sense of community and economic opportunity in, in the area around their distillery. What those in the bourbon industry might consider a non-traditional concept of launching a brand, it speaks to me of creating their own tradition within the product line. 
For the second half of today's episode, you're going to get a two-for-one. We're going to talk about Uncle Nearest and Fawn Weaver, one being instrumental in the future of bourbon and one being instrumental in the past of bourbon. So we'll start with Uncle Nearest. Uncle Nearest is a product line that is in most liquor stores across the United States of America. Uh, Uncle Nearest is a brand that is dedicated to someone that we might consider to be a whiskey godfather or um, a tagline that is often used is the best whiskey maker the world never knew. The idea of Uncle Nearest is spawned out of understanding the origins of Jack Daniel's distillery. Jasper Jack Daniel was educated on how to distill whiskey by a man named Nathan Green, more oftentimes referred to as Uncle Nearest. A few years back, Fawn Weaver became enthralled with the story of Uncle Nearest, and so she began by challenging the understood narrative around Jack Daniel's utilization of slaves in the production of their product. So to better understand who Uncle Nearest is, we'll, we'll, we'll take a step back in time and find that you know in Tennessee, uh, Reverend Dan Call had a farm and a distilling operation. We've discussed in earlier episodes how distilling was truly a farm-to-table type of operation. His master distiller, if you were to use that term in those times, would be Nearest Green. Nearest Green had perfected what we now call the Lincoln County process. Uh, the Lincoln County process is the utilization of charcoal filtering. The charcoal filtering, it is believed to have come from an African tradition of water pur- purification, something that is uh, intended to help take out impurities within water, uh, was then utilized later on in the distillation of liquor. Jack Daniel came to work for Dan Call at his farm and on his distillery. He had a huge interest in distilling, and at some point in time, he came to work alongside Uncle Nearest in understanding and being able to distill his own product. Their relationship would obviously be complicated and somewhat misunderstood for the time, as as it was certainly uncommon the degree of caring that was involved in this particular relationship. Sometime after Jack Daniels comes to work for Dan Call, Dan Call decides he wants to get out of the distilling business. Uh, It seems that maybe it had some degree of conflict of interest with his stated profession of being a reverend, Um, thinking about the temperance movement, prohibition, all those things that were kind of coming down the pipe. Um, Around those, those same time frames, we start seeing the freeing of slaves. And so Uncle Nearest gains his freedom. Jack Daniels had been Nearest's apprentice for some time, and so he brought Nearest along with him uh, to be able to help build the Jack Daniels brand. As is often the case, the Jack Daniels brand and the Jack Daniels line grew too large for its physical location at that time, and it was time for it to move. But at that time, Nearest was not interested in relocating, so he retired. But the story doesn't stop there. Many of Nearest's family continued to work for Jack Daniels over the ages. However vital Nearest's and his family's role in the Jack Daniels legacy is, it had fallen out of the history books. That's not for a lack of trying on the Jack Daniels part. It was just a product of how history was written. So this is when, this is the point in the story where Fawn Weaver becomes interested in the best whiskey maker that the world never knew. And over the next few years, a fleet of journalists, historians, archivists, all worked to unearth this story. Fawn Weaver worked hard to revive a name and 
a legacy within the bourbon world. The fruits of her labor start with a brand called Uncle Nearest, but they don't stop there. They continue into a community movement, the establishment of the, the Nearest Green Legacy Scholarship, which is funded by donors and Jack Daniels Legacy Book Sales, with the interest of being able to give higher education opportunities to the family of Nearest Green. So what drives a person like Fawn Weaver to become interested in the Nearest Green story? Well, Fawn Weaver is an author and a blogger, and and an inquisitive spirit if you happen to have an opportunity to listen to any of the many interviews that have been done uh, with her by other bourbon historians, I encourage you to do so. There's an incredibly good one um, that is has been recorded by Whiskey Lore. Uh, Drew Hannish did a fantastic story on Fawn Weaver and her efforts. Once you understand a little more about Fawn personally, you'll, you'll find that she was married to an entertainment executive. Her father was a songwriter and a musician. It almost seems as if it is in her DNA to tell stories. And listening to her speak, you can tell she is a natural-born orator. I don't know if it was born out of her nature or her training, but it appears she understood the need to carefully create a narrative that would inform and educate consumers. Informative and educational stories are very dry and sterile. So she crafted a personal story that resulted in a product with a purpose. When listening to her speak on podcasts, I can hear storytelling in her voice. I usually listen to podcasts sped up because broadcasting people often speak slowly. Passionate storytellers have a cadence that builds an intensity and interest. Her passion for her story is evidenced by her cadence. You can tell that she wants to get the story in front of you, and she wants to talk to you about your reaction to it, and she wants to do that now. It's like a teacher who's recounting their favorite pupil. Or a friend telling you about their greatest hopes. You can hear a care and concern that is only present in someone who is completely and utterly invested in the product or the project in front of them. A person who understands that telling a story well means nothing if the story is uninteresting. We find that as we immerse ourselves in a story, the analytical side of our brain begins to rest. And it gives way to an emotive side. Something that is full of caring and emotion and empathy. We suspend reality for a moment. We become engrossed in the feeling of the story. And that's something that the story of Uncle Nearest and Fawn Weaver has been able to carefully put together. Something that is, while true, also incredibly compelling. Those are the stories that I think that are super interesting. Things that we can all get on board with and we can all huddle around and understand together. The month of February and its designation as Black History Month is intended to achieve a few things. As it was stated to me by a friend on Instagram named Hood Somalier, the interest of these types of efforts are opportunity, equity, and recognition. If you know of other brands or people integral to this community of bourbon, please let me know and I'll do the legwork and feature them on another episode. And if you've made it this far, thank you for letting me bend your ear. I hope these stories resonate with you in the same way they resonate with me. I hope you learned an interesting tidbit of information that you can share with your friends over your next drink that you have together. I hope that you explore the brands and the people that I mention, if for nothing else than to enrich the enjoyment you have with this particular spirit. Bourbon is great anytime, but it's best when it's shared with others. And the time shared with others is the beginning of your story. Thanks for listening to the Embellish Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. Check out our website at embellishpod.com and follow us on social media at Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what we have going on. If you have an idea about a story we should talk about, send it to us at embellishpod at gmail.com. And remember, whether famous or infamous, a good story mixed with a touch of embellishment makes the food you ate, the drink you drank, and the places you visited just a little more memorable.